Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at the, just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you speak to us through it. And today, Lord, as we hear from it, may your spirit be at work in our hearts. May your spirit move our hearts to, to, and to, open, our, uh, to open our minds and to receive your word and to want to respond to it, Lord. And we pray that uh, you'll do that uh, today uh, through, through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I joined this Facebook group. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Australian Lawn Fanatics. Have you guys ever heard of it? Last night, this is amazing. I don't know, like it's just so coincidental. Uh, I blurred out some of those people because you might recognize some of them in our church. But um, <laughs> Australian lawn fan fanatics, um, this is just a screenshot. And uh, it's amazing. It was on a current affair last night. Coincidentally, I was preparing this talk earlier this week and then it just happened to be on TV last night. This group made it to a current affair, right? They have over 65,000 members. It only started a year ago. and. Uh, and it, it, it's amazing because you get to scroll through people, people's grass. You get to look at pictures of people's grass and, and you get tips and, and, and hints on how to you know, improve your grass. It's amazing. And, and I know this probably doesn't interest you, but when you look at a good, like you can't see this very well, but that grass is amazing. It has like stripes in it. You know, you can mow stripes into grass. It's, it looks really beautiful. Uh, but here's the thing, like you go onto this page and you feel envy. You feel, uh, you feel, oh, I wish I had grass like that. And you start learning all this new stuff, right? Terminology, you know, with any hobby, uh, stuff, uh, I've never heard this. Dethatching, scalping, coring, your grass, all this stuff. Uh, I'm still learning all this stuff, but it's really, int it is interesting. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to convince you guys of this. Um, <laughs> but it is interesting. And, and, and it's, did you know that with your weeds, there are actually different herbicides, right? not just one, not the one that you buy at the supermarket. That, that one doesn't do anything. You have to buy specific herbicides for different types of weeds. Man, you should join this group. Uh, I don't even like gardening. Okay, let's, I'll be honest with you. I don't like gardening. Mowing the lawn is the bane of my existence. I just, I just it bothers me all the time. But when I joined this group, I started, I started looking at my grass and I started, I started feeling hopeful. 
I started feeling hopeful that this doesn't have to be a, just a bunch of weeds in the backyard. It could look beautiful one day. Uh, there's hope. There's hope that I can restore my lawn. It can be fixed. Restoration is possible. I don't know if you guys ever felt that. You, know, you look at something that's broken and you know, oh, I can't wait to restore this. Uh, you know, for me, it's like I can't wait to experience, this is the dream for everyone, if you have a home and a lawn, is to feel that soft, spongy feel under your feet without wearing shoes. Wow. I'd love to not wear shoes in my backyard and just experience that. I was at Ross's place and I could do that, and it was amazing. His grass was just so soft and spongy. Uh, but isn't that, a, that the, isn't that the dream, right? And isn't that the idea for many of us, restoring what is broken? It's the, it's the desire of the human heart in life. We desire to see, experience, and see restoration in life, don't we? Isn't that why we watch home renovation, you know, reality TV shows where they find a dump of a house to renovate and restore? Uh, Pimp My Ride, where old cars are used as restoration projects. We're drawn to those reality TV shows where, where people are, are, you know, go from rags to riches. The, the Beauty and the Beast, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, where people go through a transformation and they're accepted, restored back into society. Or, or you know, maybe what resonates with you are those shows where we, we see the story of the dysfunctional family, the broken families, where they, they come together through some reunion, they re- reunite and they put aside their differences and they move toward restoration. And we feel touched by it. We all want to experience and hope for that, don't we? When we take a moment and we observe our world, we can actually see it all around us. The human heart longs for a taste of what restoration could look like. Because let's be honest, there is so much brokenness in our world. There's so much brokenness even in my backyard with the weeds. Everything tells a story, doesn't it? But what if these instances that, are, that we can observe, what if they're meant to point us to a greater story? To show us there is a greater brokenness in our world uh, that we can have restoration in. There's a greater restored relationship that we can experience with God himself. It's like the spongy, soft grass under your feet. What if you could experience a restored relationship with God? What does He have to offer to you and me? This is what these first 11 verses in Romans chapter 5, this is what we're going to go through today. Our tapestry of grace is going to be woven together so we can see the the big picture of what that relationship will look like. It will look like assurance and peace. It's uh, uh, It's going to look like a relationship that empowers hope. It's going to look like a relationship that knows and has experienced deep and unconditional love. So let's unpack it now from verse 1. Let's follow along with me, have your Bibles open. Let's read it. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We boast and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So far in the past three weeks, uh, if you've been with us, you can catch up online on our podcast with the sermons. But we've been understanding a lot about this idea of justification by, justification by faith, haven't we? We've been justified through faith. Uh, if you have been attending our missional communities midweek, our members, if you go to our missional communities, uh, you would know th- we've been talking a lot about that definition of justification, haven't we? What does justification mean? It means we're made right with God. We've been justified But we've been made right with God, not because of what we've done, but because of our faith in Jesus. That's all chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Romans. Because of sin, we stand guilty. None of us are perfect. We are all, uh, none of us are sinless. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's what chapter 3 tells us. But we've been justified. We've been made right by faith 
in the one who is our substitute in Jesus. He stands before God. He stands before the judge. He takes the wrath for you and for me. And he makes us right. Now, this is important. It says here in chapter 5, it says, Now that we're justified, now that we're right with God, we have peace with God through Jesus. Now, let's be clear. It's not saying that, uh, it's not talking about having peace in God. It's having peace with God, right? You know that feeling of peace in God, you know, amidst all your struggles and hardships, you have this, this inner peace feeling. That's nice and it's a gift, but that's a subjective thing, isn't it? You feel peace. What, what, what uh, Paul, the author of Romans, is writing for us here, he's saying there is peace now with God. It's an objective thing. It's not subjective, it's objective. You have peace with God. Your status with God has changed. Let me explain. Because of sin, there wasn't peace between us and God. The, the relationship was actually hostile. There was a big wedge between us. There was, there was essentially beef. He saw us as his enemy. And our sin, it was a direct disrespect a rejection of who he is as our God and as our king. And our sin, the nature of our hearts, to, to choose ourselves over God, that itself drove a wedge between us and God. It caused hostility, it caused beef between us and him. But now, because of our justification by faith, we have peace with God. We're not just acquitted. We're not just innocent now and, and free from his wrath. That is true. We are acquitted, but we're also welcomed in as friends. We've been saved from his wrath, but we've been saved into a relationship with God. We've been saved from and we've been saved to, right? So you've got to understand this. We didn't go from negative to, to neutral. We went from negative to positive, and it's all good, right? We're now considered God's family. I mean, that should blow our minds. Uh, let's consider the gravity of that. Uh, later on in our in our. Uh, passage, verse 9 and 10, he keeps repeating the word reconciliation. We've been reconciled with God. It's relational language, isn't it? When you've been reconciled to someone, we have peace with God. We've been reconciled to him. Tell me, or consider this, how do you feel when you aren't on good terms with someone? Do you feel perhaps uh, you've been wrong, you've been hurt? You might feel ashamed of your actions, your mistakes, perhaps treating someone wrongly. You might feel bitter, perhaps, or resentful, you might just simply feel uncomfortable around them. You don't want to be even in the same room. Well, you know what? With Jesus, you don't have to feel that way with God. God isn't going to feel that way with you. We're at peace. We're on talking terms with God. Even better, though, God sees us as his own children now. We can see him as our good and loving father. Jesus covers all our shame. He takes away all the sin that once ruled our heart. He brings us before the father and he dresses us in righteousness. Man, talk about a glow up. The relationship you have with God has been transformed. God, he sees you. He cancels your debt. He forgives your sin. He accepts you and then welcomes you home. You have peace with God because of Jesus. It's only through Jesus. It's all because of Jesus, because of him that you have that confidence now. We can have security. We can have assurance. Your relationship with God isn't dependent on what you've done to earn that relationship. I mean, if, if I tried to be God's friend by forcing my way into a relationship with him, I'd stuff up every time. I'd just, keep, I'd just keep disrespecting him. It's like that friend that has no social awareness of the things that they say or do, and they just keep offending you. They just don't realize they're offending you. It's like that. That's what we'd be with God. We'd have that stink. That's, our sin would stink. There's no way a stinky person would be allowed access into the presence of a good and great God. But it says because of Jesus we can he cleans us up. He scrubs us up, removes the sin that stains our hearts. 
You know, we really need to understand this. Assurance means you and I aren't hoping. We're not hoping that we've got peace with God. We have peace with God. I have friends who uh, would happily call themselves Christians. Uh, there was one friend who was uh, a Catholic as well, and he said to me, I remember him saying this. I've heard this from Christians as well, but I remember him saying to me, yeah, Mikey, I, I'm not sure if I've got peace with God. Uh, probably going to go to hell, but yeah, you know, I'm just not, I'm just not sure. And at that moment, I was, just, I was thinking Romans 5. I was thinking, hey, you actually have peace with God already through Jesus. Why do people think that? Why do our Catholic friends think that? The line of, the line of thought is that they don't, they're thinking they don't do enough to earn that peace. And what they're doing is they're missing the heart of the Christian message. Their peace with God isn't by their own doing. It isn't something they can earn or work out in life, like an apology, buying a bunch of flowers, hoping the other party will forgive you. You can try but God, with God, but you'll stuff it again. The peace with God is assured because of Jesus, because you put your faith in Him. It's been done. It's been dealt with. Your peace with God, He was the offering. He was the sacrifice. It's secured by Him, not by you. This is the restoration. This is what we get when we have restoration with God. We have peace with Him. That's assured you know what, I don't know if that sounds enticing to you, but you have a personal relationship with the great God of the universe now. You get to have God. You get to have a relationship with the maker for eternity. And I've said this before, but what makes heaven so good? This is the very conviction we should all hold on to. What makes heaven so good? Because, and this is the best part, because God the majestic divine creator, the one who gives us, uh, gives us everything, the one who takes away as well, the one who has the universe in the palm of his hand, the one who put love and joy and peace into the human heart, the one who is the source of all good. God becomes personal. We get to be with him forever. That's what makes heaven so good. If we know that's our eternal destiny, if we know we get to have peace with God secured by our faith in Jesus, it makes every difference to, to life, doesn't it? It makes every difference to how we approach life. And this is the second point. It actually empowers us to live by hope. So Paul goes on. Let's read verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory. Your text might say rejoice. We also, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, to most people, this would sound insane, right? To rejoice or glory in our sufferings. But Paul's point here is that through, through all of life, through, through knowing uh, we've got peace with God, we can actually face each day, can't we? We have peace with God. So we can face the highs and the lows, the good and the bads, the mountains and the valleys. We can face each day with hope and we can take on those sufferings and we can literally rejoice in them. Find joy in our sufferings. Now, that sounds so, so, so wrong. I don't want to, I don't want to suffer. Who likes pain here? Don't put up your hand. You know, there are some, I get it, there are some people who like pain and, you know, they feel a rush from, but that's not what Paul is saying here. Don't go looking for pain. Uh, he's not saying rejoice so you can go keep pursuing that. He's saying suffering is going to happen in your life, but you can see that as an opportunity to rejoice and find glory in it. It's so interesting, isn't it? We rejoice in the sufferings uh, we face as Christians because we know that it'll produce something in us. We need to see it through the lens of the gospel that we have and the relationship and peace that we've attained with God. When we know that we have peace, 
then what overflows, even when we suffer in life, is an endurance, isn't it? There's a, there's a perseverance, a resilience even, when our character is formed and strengthened. That's why we can rejoice in sufferings. It is hard, 100%. But, you know, look back on your life. We've all had to face trials at some point, haven't we? It's part of growing up. It's part of being an adult. We know that for us to grow, we must face hardships in life. For us to be strong, we have to work through our weaknesses. Paul is, something that is, Paul is saying something here that's a very human experience. It, it, it's very obvious, and he's saying this 2,000 years ago. It's what, what's really interesting is that we forget this, even in our generation, in our society, we forget this. I read an article the other day, and I sent it to some of you guys here to read. It was an article titled, My Generation Isn't Suffering Enough. Here it is. I've got a screenshot of it. You can go look it up. I can send it to you if you'd like. It was written by a Gen Z person. Gen Zer, is that what we call them? Gen Zers. Um, a Gen Z person. And, um, and so there are many Gen Z people here. If you're born from 1997, uh, this is how it started the article. My generation is miserable. Gen Z are the saddest, loneliest, and most mentally fragile age group to date cursed with rising rates of anxiety, depression, and suicide. How can that be? How can a generation with everything feel so desperately unhappy? By almost every metric, human life is dramatically better today than it ever has been. For the most part, Gen Z are heirs to an immense fortune, a utopian world of instant gratification and technological dynamism. In theory, this should be the age of happiness. And yet, misery abounds. The article goes on to talk about that Perhaps we need to consider the power of suffering. She writes, that suffering is a requisite for growth. It compels self-reflection, transformation, and transcendence. It precedes our resurrection, dragging us down before reviving us as wiser, more lucid versions of ourselves. It's inevitable, natural, even desirable. Do you hear what she's saying? That's what the author is saying about our generation. It's not a Christian article or anything. She acknowledges that our generation are so comfortable that it comes at our disadvantage because we can only get stronger when we face adversity. We'll only find a sense of purpose and meaning through suffering. She's saying something that our generation has forgotten, that suffering happens and should happen in life. It's part of the human experience and we shouldn't eradicate it, we shouldn't flee from it. We should embrace it. And even more so for us as Christians who have God, we actually rejoice in it because it produces perseverance and character. It makes us stronger, but not just stronger mentally or stronger physically, but stronger in hope, stronger in confidence of the future glory we have in the relationship that God has gifted us with. You see, the, the struggles and suffering that we face, it makes us more resilient, yes, but it pushes us. It forces us to fall before the glory of God and depend on Him. It's not suffering for suffering's sake, the article, you know, when you finish the article, it doesn't actually give us any long-term solutions, just the short-term. Be okay in the discomfort of life and challenge yourself to be uncomfortable. Sure, that might help us grow our character, but will it truly give us purpose? What about your future hope? What about the hope you need when death stares us in the face? You see, suffering drives us to the one place where we can find a deep confidence and an assurance and hope. It drives us to God and the glory there in His presence. So let's, let's change the way we see suffering in our life. Let's rejoice knowing that pain isn't purposeless. 
but that God can work through our pain for purpose if we allow him to show it and work in us. 100%, it's not going to be easy. I guarantee you it will be hard. It doesn't sound fun at all. And I know so many of us would always want to take the easier route instead, cruise through life. Perhaps we'll only really ever appreciate this when we own the fact that the person we are today, the person we want to be, is going to only ever happen through a series of, of trials and hardships. And that character and hope can only be developed when we see that there is a God we get to be in relationship with. Through it all. And that's what awaits us at the end of the journey. Your joy is only going to be present when you understand your peace with God, though. Your joy is only going to be present. Your rejoicing and suffering is only going to be there when you understand you have peace that's been secured in Jesus. Otherwise, your suffering will be painful. You'll be asking questions like, Why me, God? Why am I suffering like this? Haven't I pleased you enough? Aren't I good enough for you? Why am I suffering? Have you ever heard yourself say those things in times of trial? You see, we say these things because the default of our hearts, again, is to think that I'm good because I've worked for it. I'm, you know, I'm good with God because I've worked for it. I've earned it. So God, you should give me everything I deserve from the hard work I've put in. But we're not made right with God through our works, are we? We're made right by faith in Jesus, who was our substitute. The gospel of grace that we've been talking about, it reminds us again and again of this truth. There's a disconnect. There's a disconnect if we think we're starting, if we're equating suffering, if we're equating that with, like, with, with getting punished by God. If I'm suffering and I'm saying, oh, God is punishing me, then we're, operating, we're not operating out of a heart that has tasted grace. We're operating out of a heart, we're not operating out of a heart that, that knows the security and peace of God. Because when we do, we will persevere with hope, knowing that there isn't all, this isn't all that there is in life. We're saved by Jesus. Suffering won't and isn't purposeless. It makes our relationship with God look all the sweeter because I know I'm saved. I know God's peace and I know God's great love for me. And this is where he goes in verse 5 to 8. Let's read it. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, do you know the greatness of God's love? It's been shown to you at the cross of Jesus. There is no greater feat of love in history. Here's the part that, that blows my mind over and over again. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sin sinners, while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. Uh, <laughs> this last week, I saw a Christian meme, and I, uh, this, uh, it's, it's cheesy. But what happened, uh, what happened this last week in pop culture? Do you guys remember? Uh, we saw a, a famous interview happen between Oprah and Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Is it Meghan? 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 Megan, Megan. The meme was, the meme was captioned, okay? Uh, it was captioned, Harry left his throne for love, right? You know who else left his throne? That was it. That was the caption. It was really cheesy. It was a cheesy meme, right? They're talking about Jesus. Jesus left his throne for love. The king of the universe left his throne for love. Like Harry, he left it for his bride. But Jesus' bride is the church. That's us. People like you and I. Now, while Meghan Markle is, is worthy, perhaps, of Prince Harry's love and life, Jesus left his throne out of love for you and I, who are his enemies, who were his enemies. 
That's the difference. And while we are still living in our mess, God enters into our world through the person of Jesus. Jesus becomes the Christ, our Savior, because he saves us from ourselves, saves us from our sin by dying on a cross, being raised again in three days. He defeats sin. He gets rid of sin. He shows us then through his life, his sacrifice, what true, unconditional, generous, selfless love looks like. This God is a God who will enter our lives and literally enters into our mess. And he knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. He knows our actions, our motives better than anyone else. He knows us through and through and still chooses to love you fully. Now, I imagine this stuff might, if you're new to church or new to Christian or you're not yet a Christian, I, I imagine this stuff to sound quite confronting. Because, you know, Mikey, I, I'm a good person. I'm generous. I'm charitable. I'm an enemy of God. Is that what the Bible's saying about me? How can they say that? I, I, I do good things. But let, let me explain this to you. I want, to see, I want you to see that, in fact, God is so much more infinite and glorious than you and I could ever imagine. If I put uh, you or myself up against the perfect God of holiness, none of my good works, none of my sending positive vibes out there, none of that actually impresses God. It doesn't make God say, wow, Mikey, you're so amazing. Oh, you make looking human look good, you know? He doesn't, he doesn't see that. He, I, I don't deserve his love. He's not giving me a round of applause. He sees my human heart and he sees right through me. He sees a guy who is powerless, vulnerable, grasping onto straws, hoping for something in life to make sense and give purpose or joy. He sees my sin. Something that I can't be delivered from on my own. Something we need deliverance from through Him alone. We're powerless to save ourselves. And God in His grace and love died for His enemies. Died for you and for me. That's what great selfless love looks like. Nothing else shows us greater love than the cross. Do you know this? Do you, are you aware of this? Can I encourage you, if you're not a Christian today, to, to really explore this? Consider God's love for you. Honestly, I'd like to make, clear this, uh, make this really clear for those who are Christians as well. There's a huge misconception in, in churches that happens, uh, what happens outside of churches and happens inside churches as well, amongst self-professing Christians. For some of us, we look at our circumstances and we hope and we pray that God will love us, and we hope and pray that we will, God will love us, and, and it will really be dependent on our favorable outcomes, right? And, and there are trivial, trivial things in life that we sometimes do, and there's nothing wrong with praying for these things. I do this all the time. Uh, it's, you know, we pray about things, and we think, oh, if, if God answers prayer, He loves me, right? Uh, perhaps you're at a busy parking lot, and you're thinking, God, please give me a parking spot. Do you ever do, you ever do that just in your head? Just pray, God, oh, Father, give me a parking spot, please. Right next to the, the restaurant so I don't have to walk that far, please. Right? Or you're busting to the toilet and you're praying, oh, pray, oh, God, please, can, can you just give me a toilet? Just give me a toilet anyway. Just make one show up appear. Right? If it doesn't appear, does God still love you? Does he not love you if it doesn't appear? Right? God, God I'm not as successful as the person next to me. You mustn't love me. I've been praying for success and I don't have it yet. You mustn't love me. God, I'm, I'm struggling with this work environment. This boss, boss is on my, my, my back all the time. I'm, it's a toxic work environment. Uh, or I feel, you know, like my friends aren't around. Where are they? I need my friends. God, do you even love me? We look at our circumstances around us and we question whether God loves us. 
But maybe that's not you. Maybe you're looking at your emotions. Your emotions, you know, they determine God's love for you. You know, you might be feeling good one day. You look at your emotions and think today, oh, I feel so good. Oh, I feel God's love. God must love me because I feel so good today. And another day where your emotions change, you feel alone, you feel abandoned, anxious perhaps, depressed, you've been struggling with your mental health, you've maybe been sick for a long time. And you think, oh God, do you love me? Because it doesn't feel like it. We struggle so much in those moments, don't we? But can you see the huge problem with that? When you look at your circumstances around you or you look at your emotions to determine God's love, if you were to talk to someone who grew up in poverty in the slums of the Philippines or someone who lived in the Middle East and and they lived in a war-torn country, their home, their livelihood was taken away, they became a refugee, an asylum seeker, the person who gets assaulted on the street for the color of their skin, the person who, who, who does... Uh, who does get sick, who grows up with a disability, does God not love them because their circumstances aren't like yours? Friends, your circumstances and your emotions cannot and do not determine whether God loves you. Look at the tapestry of grace, though, in history. Look to the cross of history where Christ, the Son of God, who saw you in your sin and your mess, You were once God's enemy, but God in His mercy put Jesus on the cross as a sacrifice for you. Look at the gravity of His love there on the cross. You want to know God loves you? If God loves you, look to Jesus. You're not loved because you have a comfortable life. You're not loved because you have a decent family or you have your dream career. Sure, thank God for them. You should thank God for them. But you're loved because of Christ. Step out of your circumstances, out of the pain and sorrow of your emotions. I know that might be hard. And look back to the cross of Christ. I know that's hard to do for some of us here. I know many of us in this room have very strong feelings. You feel so strongly your emotions that it shapes your perspective of faith and life. And there are days you feel so strongly that you're distant from God. And you question God's love for you. But friends, let me encourage you, during those moments, you need to hear truth. Keep going to the gospel. Keep going back to your Bible. Go back to history and see and feel the gravity of this truth. Jesus is your proof. He's the evidence. It's clear in all of history. His death on the cross where he spilt his blood was raised again from the dead. That moment was the moment of God's amazing love for you. God's amazing grace. We've been reconciled. We've been restored back to God. We were once enemies, but now we're his children. We can hold on to his deep love that the God of the universe has displayed for us. We get to be with Jesus. Christ is mine forevermore. We sang that song before. Come, rejoice now, O my soul, for his love is my reward. Fear is gone and hope is sure. Christ is mine forevermore. Friends, isn't this the restoration story that meets all our heart's longings? our deepest needs, far greater than any other restoration this world can ever offer. Knowing how we are loved by God through this reconciled relationship, we can live with certain hope. Sufferings and hardships will come our way in this life. We're not invincible. Physically, emotionally, our bodies are finite. The financial market is never stable. We put out so much hope in that. Our lives are never truly safe, no matter how much we self-preserve them. But here's the beauty of the gospel. 
God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Spirit that has been given to us. We can persevere. Our character can be strengthened. Our hope is secure, firm and anchored because of the gospel of love. How good is that? Knowing God's love changes everything. Not only then do we have security, security and assurance, but we can see life in a whole new light. C.S. Lewis, he's an author. You might have known his books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Narnia series. In, in the book Narnia, right, there's a place that's covered in endless winter under the rule of the Ice Queen, if you've read the books. And there's this moment in the books where the Ice Queen is defeated and the snow melts, right? And Aslan, who's the lion, one of the characters, he's the king of Narnia, he, he appears. And the author, C.S. Lewis, he journals that very moment. It's much like his experience of God's grace and love. When the God of grace and love appears and reaches out to you, everything that was once covered, everything that once covered your heart, your blindness, the darkness, it's all taken away. And by it, your eyes are open to God, to life. Such a beautiful picture. Let me add this. J.I. Packer, he's a Christian author as well. Uh, he writes this book called Knowing God, which I recommend to read. I recommend to everyone. It says this. He says this. You can have all the notions in your head without ever tasting in your heart the realities to which they refer. Right? If our understanding of God is just a logical decision and we think it makes sense to be a Christian, therefore become a Christian, we have yet to be captured by the beauty of his love. You see, I've been, my hobby recently, many of you know, is, is aquascaping. It's planted, planting plants into a fish tank, essentially. Right? If I show you my beautiful aquascape and I said, hey, uh, or even let's, if I show you pictures of lawns, grass, right? And, and you found it really boring, and I said to you, hey, what do you think? Beautiful, right? Really beautiful. Look at it. And you said, ah, sure, it's beautiful. You know, what, you know what that's called, right? It's called lying. You'd be lying to me. You either see it as beautiful or you don't. So you see, something, seeing something beautiful isn't just a logical decision. You can't tell yourself, oh, this is beautiful, therefore it is beautiful. When you see beauty, you have to feel it. You have to experience it. That's how I... Honestly, that's how I feel when I sit in front of my fish tank. It's beautiful. When you see beauty, not only does your mind perceive it, your heart is captured by it. So do you have the eyes and the heart to detect, to sense, to perceive, to taste the presence of beauty that we have in Jesus? The infinite, all-satisfying beauty. You'll sense it. You'll, you'll savor it for the beauty that it is. And if you don't, you won't. Here's the thing, when you see the beauty of God's love for you, the beauty of Christ in the gospel, only then will you see Christ as your supreme treasure in life. When Christians, when, when Christians know God's love for them, they not only know it up here, they know it in their hearts. And I know you'll feel distant from God sometimes. I know you'll feel the struggle of your faith at times, especially for those in the room who are strong feelers but when you know the, the love of God in the at the cross, in the gospel, keep running back to that. Keep running back to the truth that we know, that we have, that Jesus died for us. You see, when our hearts are changed by this love that sees God for who He is and sees the beauty of God in all of life, a heart so impacted by His love that is pour, it is poured out into our heart, it shapes our lives. Why? Because our hearts then operate from a place of assurance, security, peace, that knows hope and love at a, at a God level. <laughs> you know, the, the God's love. And when it is in tune with the gospel, it shapes our lives, changes our attitudes, it changes our worldviews. 
our desires change, our ambitions change, our life goals become so much more grand because we live now for eternity, not just for these short years of our life. Having the peace with God in a restored, reconciled relationship, we live by hope. Friends, are you aware of that? The impact of the gospel in our lives, the impact of this restored relationship, every other restoration project we pursue in life, it all, as good as they might be, right, it pales in comparison to the rock-solid reality that Jesus offers us for eternity. There's this beautiful art in Japan. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called kintsugi. It's a type of uh, restoration art, right, where broken pottery shards are, are, are placed back together using a lacquer that mixes in gold powder so that you can see the gold powder between the, the shards uh, that are put back together in the broken pottery. It illuminates what was once broken. That's the point of it. And by doing so, it tells a story that the breakage, this piece of pottery, when even though it's repaired now, uh, it, it, the repair should be treated as history, the history of an object, not something that needs to be disguised or covered over. By doing this, this restoration, it's embracing the imperfections. And isn't that what we're seeing in the tapestry of grace that God has been unveiling to us in Romans? We've got to admit We've got to own that we were once broken before God. And by grace and His love and faith in Jesus, we've been restored to a relationship with God, with our very Maker as He intended. You see, the, the kintsugi is His love that restores us back to Him. It doesn't need to be disguised. Our history of brokenness needs to be understood. So His love and the hope we have at the cross can be magnified even more. We are all broken people, saved by a good and great and gracious God, by His love. Some of us who have felt the brokenness of life, some of us who don't always have it all together, some of us who have felt the depravity of our sin, you know what? God hasn't left us where we are. We can have that restored relationship with Him, and we can enjoy the blessings that He gives us of peace, of hope, and of love that we embrace at the cross. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for the cross. Thank you so much for the cross where we see your love displayed and magnified. Lord, for us to really understand how great you are and the, the great relationship we have with you, we need to understand ourselves, that we are broken before you. That we don't deserve to be in your presence, that we were once your enemies because of our sin that disrespected you and rejected you. But Lord, by your grace, by your mercy, you reach down to us. You sent your one and only son to die on a cross for us. And for that, we're thankful that our sin has been dealt with. And so we pray, pray, Lord, that we'll put our faith in that truth. Our faith knowing that we're justified by Christ, not by us, not by our works. And we pray, Lord, as we live by faith, that we'll keep looking to the cross as our bedrock, the foundation of our faith the foundation of how we see life, how we shape our worldview, how we shape our perspectives. I pray, Lord, that knowing your great love for us will move our hearts to be a people that are, are, are living for your name, living for your glory and not our own. Will help us to see that great restoration. We have a restored relationship with you for eternity. There's nothing more that we could ask for. So may we live with thankfulness knowing that. May we live for you and for your honor, for your name. In, in, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.